0: We're continuing our series on the book of Psalms. We're on chapter nine, and the title of my message today is When the How Long, O Lord is Finally Over. This is gonna be a rejoicing message. This is gonna be an encouraging message. That you get to that place where for a season you've been crying out to the lord how long oh lord how long how long will my marriage be in the circumstances how long will i be in this physical situation how long will my children be prodigal children how long will i have this anxiety or fear this stress in my heart in my mind and in my life and you've been praying that lord how long oh lord how long like david did in this psalm in the book of psalms uh, but then there's this breakthrough there's this deliverance there's this season where you come into a new season and you're seeing now it's finally over. No longer having to ask that question, how long, O oh Lord, how long? I wanna pray for us and then I wanna read. It's a rather long chapter, but I want you to bear with me. Uh, sometimes we think the sermon is the important part and the reading of the scripture is the part that we can just bypass. Uh, it's the opposite. The reading of the scripture is that is, which is most holy, most, to be most revered. So, so look closely at these words with me as we read them in just a moment. Father, I pray that you give me clarity Give me focus and give me uh, an anointing from heaven to preach your word. Calm my heart. Allow me to say what you would have me to say and allow people's hearts to be changed and transformed because so many right now are going through that season of, Lord, how long until you hear my cry? But Lord, let this word be an encouragement that there is a day that comes where we do hear uh, the, the resolve to the sad song and a new song is being brought forth in our heart. We give thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 9, the introduction to that says, To the choir master, according to the Muth Laban, a psalm of David, I will give thanks to the Lord with my, I love this phrase, with my whole heart. I will recount all of his wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause, and you have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out the name, their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end, in in everlasting ruins, their cities. You uprooted the very mention, memory of them has perished. Verse seven. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established. His throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness and he judges the people with uprightness the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble and those who know your name put their trust in you for you O Lord have not forsaken those who seek you sing praise to the Lord who sits enthroned on Zion tell among the people's his deeds for he avenges blood is mindful of them he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk into the pit they have made, and in the net they have hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol and all the nations that forgot God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Verse 19 and 20, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Now, as we've been studying the book of Psalms, we've noticed that in chapters 1 through 8, particularly chapters 1 through 7, are songs of lament, songs of sorrow. If you've been following this teaching series, you'll know that we talked about David having to run from Absalom, his own son, hiding now in caves as there's been a revolt and he's lost his throne, his kingdom, his dominion. But he's also been through other heartaches and sorrows. He had Saul, his his mentor, his leader, his King, persecuting him, throwing spears at him. He also lost his own son. He, he lived under the guilt of shame, of adultery and and of murder. And so Psalm one through seven really expresses this heart. Uh, my sin, my sorrow, my sickness, my pain, my suffering, uh, all of these are laments. And he keeps asking this question, and you see this in his language and and his cry of his soul. He's he's crying day and night. His bed is like a pillow. His pillow is like a a, a river of tears flooding his bed at night. And the question, the refrain that continues to come up over and over is, "How long, O oh Lord? How long?" Maybe you've seen some old plays or movies uh, that are musicals, and there's a a refrain a a word, a phrase that they keep going back to or a song that they keep going back to. I remember years ago, my wife and I, we saw, when we lived in London, we saw uh, a show on uh, what's the equivalent of of their Broadway. And it was about a group of Irish people that had been through a lot of tragedies. And every time they'd uh, lose something or there was a, a war breakout or some difficulty, they went back to the same song. And it was, it was kind of a silly song, but the, the shoe dropped on the table again, like dropping another shoe, the other shoe dropped and they, that, that was like a theme throughout the whole book. Now, in these first eight chapters, that seems to be the theme here, uh, the question of how long, Lord, till I'm delivered? How long? And I know you can relate to this because some of you are praying prayers and asking God for deep things of your heart. Lord, how long will this physical ailment be in my body? How long will I suffer this thing? How long is my marriage not going to be restored to the health that I had hoped and dreamed? My aspirations of having a, a beautiful, loving marriage or, or the way I father my kids. I, I, I want to be loving and affectionate, but I find myself withdrawn from it. How long will I suffer the same patterns of lifestyle over and over again and it gets get to the point where it's frustrating because we're living with such pain sorrow and suffering we're praying and it seems like there's little to no resolve and and we're, we're, we're wondering if God hears does he listen to our cries is he there for us when we have a need I would suggest to you that this has to do with hope that when you're crying out how long O oh Lord how long the good thing about that is it shows you still have hope Instead of saying, I forget my prayers, forget my worship, forget my asking you anything, God. You're not going to hear my cry. You don't listen to me when I'm in need. And, and there you get to the point of rejecting God. You're not there if you're still crying out. How long, oh Lord, how long? It tells me, and it should tell you, that you have hope. If you've, understood the, if you've ever heard of the old um, writer, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, he didn't like Christianity. As a matter of fact, he called Christianity abusive. Why did he think it was abusive? because he says Christians hang on to their hope. They see problems, they see crisis, they see needs in their life, unmet longings in their heart, and they continue to hang on to hope when the situation is hopeless. He called this prolonging your torment, uh, and he called this kind of prolonging of torment the evil of all evils. Matter of fact, directly, he called hope the evil of all evils. And, And I know that sounds strange, but you know, The book of Proverbs, I think it is, that says something very similar to that, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's probably what he was after there. He wanted things in his life, wasn't seeing them, and so he ended up giving up hope. Instead of that cry of his heart, Lord, how long will I suffer this? How long will I endure? How long until you come and rescue me and deliver me from this situation? And so... Uh, hope is is a is a reality that our that our uh, heart needs healing until until the deliverance of the situation so let 's for instance, say you're in financial trouble and you're hoping that God will do a miraculous breakthrough in your finances and you're hoping and it says how long until i 'm not living paycheck to paycheck? How long until these bills don 't pile up and you're crying out well well, see God does two things with hope: one is the hope of the thing that you 're asking him and praying for. But the other is a thing internally in your heart where he sustains hope in you so that you don't lose hope. When the Bible says hope deferred, makes the heart sick. What is it saying there? Well, there's something that needs to be healed. The external thing is one thing, but the internal thing is another. And he's going to work on the external, but oftentimes he works first on the internal, keeping us from being heart sick. You see, there's two healings, two deliverances that need to take place. The one inside of you that gives up hope. And, uh, so, because once that hope is given up, there's despair, despondency, and even anger and rejection of God. And so he heals the brokenhearted. He doesn't cast out those who are wounded who are discouraged, who are curious, God, where are you? Asking honest questions of God rather than stuffing those things down and hiding them, saying like, oh, I'm fine. Uh, all I have is good things to think, uh, good things to say, but God knows what's in your heart anyway. So it's important you express it to Him, saying, God, I'm losing hope. I'm, I'm, on, my, I'm on sort of my last leg of being able to, to, to continue to have faith and confidence in asking uh, these things of you. Now, how do we deal with hope? David, in these first chapters, before we get to chapter 9, uh, continues to come back to the Lord. He doesn't deal with some of these things I'm about to tell you about. There's there's, there's some particular ways we, we deal with hope in our life. The first one is to diminish it. Don't hope for too much. Uh, don't believe for too much. Just You don't deserve it. Just kind of keep your hope at a low level. Don't Don't have expectations for great things, for miraculous breakthroughs, just just enough to survive, just enough to pass through life uh, in in an adequate fashion. And there's a fear in us, like we could ask for too much. But God wants us to ask for him, to ask like a good father who loves to give. And he doesn't want us to ask out of the flesh to consume upon our own lust, but he wants to cleanse our heart so that when our heart a clean heart is asking him for great things, uh, healing, deliverance, move of God, uh, ministries, family reconciliation, marriages restored, uh, ministries to help others uh, come through their own how long so that they can be healed as well. So, so you don't want to diminish hope. If you diminish hope, here's what happens: you repress an emotion inside of you, and once you repress one emotion, your body and your mind and your your soul don't work in a way where you you can sort of. I'm going to reduce. Uh, I'm going to reduce hope, but uh, I, I know none of the other things will be reduced in my life. No, it doesn't work that way. If you reduce hope, if you diminish hope, it's going to re- diminish joy it's going to diminish peace it's going to diminish confidence it's going to diminish faith it's going to diminish your prayer it's going to diminish love it's going to diminish life life will be missing from it you'll be you'll be living life in a mediocre way in, a, in a, everything in moderation in a wrong kind of way where you're not finding the zest of life the fullness of life the hope of life the confidence of life that 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 joy that comes in the morning you don't have that you have instead a dread like ah oh, another day where it's just going to be this, this modicum of, of, of success but no real breakthroughs, no real power, that's the diminished. The second one, oftentimes when you diminish and you diminish and you diminish your hope, it leads to, the second one is cynicism. You get to the place where you're not really no longer believing God for great things. You're no longer believing him for deliverance, for breakthroughs, you're just, you're settling in, to, this is the way it is, the way it was, the way it always will be. My marriage has always been broken, there's no hope. And the cynicism comes from the voice of the wicked one that says, you know what? A lot of people have been praying for healing in their marriage, but look how many marriages end in divorce. A lot of people were praying that they'd get out of addiction, but look, they died in their addiction. And so you have other people's problems dictating to you what your hope is going to be. So you're looking at those, those stories that are, uh, are the things that would be without hope or without faith, and then you're attaching them to yourself and you become cynical and by cynical, it's the type of thing I was having lunch, my wife and I were with a person who uh, sadly lost their spouse uh, tragically very quickly. And uh, this person would go to church services and they'd sing a song like uh, The Goodness of Jesus or The Goodness of God. And this person would be like, oh, I'm not singing that. I can't sing. It's like they no longer believed it. There was no longer a hope for it. They were living in a in, in, in this cynical sense that God... He doesn't hear my cry. My how long, O oh Lord, how long will continue the rest of my life? Maybe one day in heaven there'll be a breakthrough. You see, the, 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 the cynic never really rests in God, never really trusts in God, but always says, uh, that won't happen for me. They'll take the one or two cases that they have heard of and they'll begin to address that as being the reality of their life rather than the reality being what God says about their life. Now, there are certain, the cynicism actually comes too because uh, there are certain stories. One time in my life, I was praying for somebody who was sick, and, I, and, I, and uh, Joni erickson Tata popped in my mind. You know, she's, she's been a quadriplegic, can't move her hands or her feet, and I'm sure she had a hope to be delivered, and, and I had a hope to see deliverance, whether it be praying for this sick person or praying for some of their own needs I had in my own life, and that image popped in my mind, like, well, I'm sure she had a hope to walk and move, but... She's not going to have that until she gets to heaven. So maybe I shouldn't want things till I get to heaven. And the Lord ministered to my heart saying, you know what, you don't, you're not dealing with quadriplegic uh, the reality of your life. You're not dealing with uh, the, the death of a loved one. Uh, I want, and God was saying to me, I want you to bring hope to me in the condition that I have you in. Don't draw up other scenarios saying, well, what if this happens? Or why didn't that happen? You see, uh, that, that will just drag you down. You see, and there are times, and the reality of, of, of our hope is why it's so hard to hold on to hope. Why is it so hard is because oftentimes um, the thing that we hope for doesn't come to pass, and, and God doesn't promise everything we've ever hoped for to come, will come to pass. But once you diminish hope or you become a cynic towards hope, then you don't hope for anything and those things that God would break through in your life and would deliver in your life, you're no longer asking. And if you don't ask, the Bible says, Jesus said it himself, don't ask, you don't receive. And one of the good things, the breakthrough of cynicism is, is to, for me, I realize I, I've had a thousand miracles in my life. I've had a thousand breakthroughs. A thousand times I've cried, how long, oh Lord, how long? And then the Lord came through and showed me, that's the end of it, it's time for a new song. And even though I've had these thousands of miracles in my life, when I have the one situation that is still troubling, uh, that crisis inside, that sorrow, that pain inside of me, that one thing I'm longing for, when will that happen? When will my children do this? Or when will that thing take place? When I have that one thing left, how sad it is that, to confess this, but sometimes I forget the thousands of miracles that he's done, and I'm clinging to that one thing. Lord, when are you going to work? Where are you? Why aren't you here? And I'm learning to give thanks more and more as I grow older give thanks and remembering all the great works. But listen to me carefully. That doesn't mean that God will, uh, would disallow you that grieving heart. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to lament. David had amazing things take place in his life. He slayed giants and bears and lions. He became king of a nation. He defeated the Philistines. He was, uh, had women singing songs about him, killing his th- tens of thousands more than Saul, his thousands. He had a lot of good things happen in his life. He had Solomon, a great son, wonderful things happen in his life. But he wrote these songs of lament because God wanted him to write these because God wanted him to be honest. And God wants you to be honest with your cry, with your how long, oh Lord, how long. He doesn't despise when you come to him. And I'm not saying don't give thanks. I'm saying give thanks for the thousands of things he's done. But don't be afraid to lament over the one thing that seems yet to be uh, needed to be done in your life. That will keep you from diminishing hope. and That will keep you from becoming a cynic where you're saying, God, I'm still believing you. You've done it in the past, and you'll do it again. Now, breaking into Psalm 9 here, we see a change in David's heart, a, a glorious transformation in his language. His lament turns into a song of deliverance, a song of joy. S- seven chapters plus, he's... He's lamenting about the horrible things that have taken place in his life, crying out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And now we get to chapter 9, and a new song comes up. Now, I think this is very profound. The introduction to chapter 9, before it gets to verse 1, says, to the choir master, according to, or you could say, sung according to this, to this, to this song. There's a song that we sing here in Israel. Uh, and sing this song with that same melody, and the melody is the melody of Laban, and that that means their death of a son. And so, interestingly, David introduces this psalm by saying, "Hey, you remember that tune about the death of a son? Sing that melody, but I want to change the words. And in verse one is the change of the words." As I was thinking about this, it reminded me, some of you may not listen to any secular music ever, but I, I have in the times past. But I was listening to, years ago, listening to a song, I think it was by Eric Clapton. And if I know the story correctly, I'd heard that he had lost a son. And after he'd lost his son, he wrote this very tragic song called Tears in Heaven, that, that there's a cry on earth, there's a cry in heaven over loss of a child. And, and, and to, in some senses, that's what David is, is saying. That's what the song of the loss of a son is that's the melody but you can imagine if if a miracle took place in eric clapton's life and if if joy came into his heart and hope and and a a deliverance of despondency and he took that same song uh, about the tragic death of his son tears in heaven and now he started talking about joy on earth joy in heaven let's sing the same song but let's change the words and that this is a, a This is profound. This is what God wants to do in your life and in my life, to take the old songs, the songs of sorrow, the songs of lament, the songs of pain, the songs of suffering, the songs of loss, and say, okay, if you're going to sing that same melody, but change the words. It's a new song that's rising up it's according to the old song, but it now has, uh, it's now, it's a victory song. It's a, it's a song of a, of a change of season. You take the old tragic song of, of loss, but now you're putting new lyrics to it and you, these lyrics represent a new season in your life. And for David, the new season was, I had been crying out, how long O oh Lord, how long? And now I'm in a season of saying, uh, he's answered my prayer. I'm no longer in that longing season no longer in that crying season, but now I'm in a season where he has delivered me. He has set me free. He has broke through. He has given me victory. David is no longer weeping. He's no longer mourning. He's no longer crying himself to sleep. He's no longer looking back. Now he is singing a new song. Now years ago, my father preached a powerful sermon at Times Square Church in New York City, and it was called Right Song, Wrong Side. And the story goes something like this, that the children of Israel sang a song of victory when they had passed through the Red Sea and the Egyptians were thrown into the sea and they were delivered from their enemies. My father was saying that was the right song. They should have sang that victory song, but they sang it on the wrong side. They should sing it before, uh, b- before they see the victory breakthrough. And I believe in that. And I believe it's glorious to have a, a song of joy even when you're suffering. But I want to invite you also. to to see it a little bit differently as well. Because when you are in that mourning season, when you are surrounded by your enemies, God does not despise you singing a song of lament, a sorrow of a how long. He he knows that's in your heart. And sometimes if you start singing a, a hallelujah song, a breakthrough song, on that side of the river, you might not really truly believe it wholeheartedly. And so you have to express your heart to the Lord. Lord, here's what my marriage is like and it's breaking my heart. Here's what it's like to have a, a teenage son or daughter who doesn't believe in you anymore. It breaks my heart. Lord, here's what it's like to lose the job that I had dreamed about. It breaks my heart. Sing that song of brokenheartedness to the Lord, but also sing it with hope, not cynicism, not diminishment. Sing it with hope. It says, one day I'm going to be singing the the same tune, but with different lyrics uh, because God will have me on a different side. And so, so he, he, he's singing this, this new song to the Lord here and he's on the other side. It's, and you could even say this is Jesus' lament. On this side of the cross, he was praying, let this cup pass from me. He was telling his disciples, my soul is, 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 is almost overwhelmed to the point of death. He's, he's singing that song of lament but then he has the other side of the cross and he comes back and he says, all power and all authority has been given to me by my father. You see, it is a, a new song that was put in his heart, but he had to go through that cross. Israel had to go through that river. And sometimes we have to go through those hardship times to build character, to build perseverance, to build faith. These things are the things that Peter tells us to work out things in our life. Hallelujah. Verse 1 goes on to say, here, here's the lyrics to my new song, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I love this here. Isn't this powerful? He starts off by saying, I, uh, something's changed in the I of my life. I will give thanks. And later on, he says, same verse, he says, I will recount all the wonderful deeds. Verse 2, I will be glad and exalt in you. Verse 2, I will sing praise to the Lord. Four times, he uses the word I. He, he, he's, he's bold now. He's, He's no longer crying, how long, oh Lord, how long? Now he's crying, I have been delivered. I have a new song. I have joy. And and he says here, it's my whole heart as I recount your wonderful deeds. Now he's speaking not, Lord, here's what I want you to do. But now he's speaking, Lord, here's what you've done. I'm recounting what's already been done. He's speaking now in the past tense. You've solved my problem. You've met my need. You've overcome the crisis in my life. And now I will be, verse two, I'll be glad. I'll exalt in you. I'll sing praise to your name. Why? Because in verse 3 it says, When my enemies turn back. But not only do the enemies turn back, but look at this, they stumble and they perish before you, before your presence. So what God does in this breakthrough, this new song, this new season in your life, changing the, the lyrics to that old tune of your life's pain and sorrow, what he's doing here is saying, that thing that I'm destroying in your life, that enemy that I'm putting down, it's not an enemy that's going to come back. You know, I've, I've ministered to young men over my pastoral career who, who've had a problem with lust or drinking or some form of addiction, and they'll, they'll come and say, well, I had a breakthrough, I'm, I'm delivered, but then they go back to it. Well, the good thing about this one, David has been processing this grieving uh, heart that he's had, and now he comes to the place saying, you know what? This is not an up and down thing. This is not an in and out thing. This is a resolve thing. Not only, has, not only has my, have my enemies turned back away from me, but now they've perished no longer be seen, no longer be heard, no longer existent, no longer a part of my life, no longer a struggle that I have, no longer a fear that I have falling back into. God has caused this thing to perish. Man, that's worth rejoicing. That's a new song that he put in your heart that can cause you to say, this thing is not only gone, but it's gone forever. Amen. And it says here it's before or because of, another translation is because of your presence. What is the powerful breakthrough? Is it some form of wisdom that you gained? That could be part of it is it some kind of counsel that you receive that could be part of it maybe there's just your circumstances your boss saw you uh, working really hard and he just decided to give you that raise that you needed to help meet your financial needs those are all things that could be realities but the bottom line reality is that these these negative things in our life perish because of God's presence is presented to them hallelujah God's presence comes into the situation and shines light on darkness he, he brings life to death he, and and it is the glory of his presence it's not just some thing that happens it's him that happens he happens to come and when he does he comes in the fullness of his glory and everything is turned upside down for the good verse 4 for now look verse one and two he's saying i will give thanks i will praise i will sing i will i will be glad and then he turns back the enemies and in verse four catch this it changes from i to you he's now he's thinking of God Most High, for you have maintained my just cause. You have set, um, you have set upon the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made uh, the wicked to perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. You see, once God's presence comes into your "How long, O oh Lord? How long?" He begins. His presence begins to change the song, because He's changing the circumstances. He's healing the brokenness. He's changing the. He's meeting your needs and that, that you can start singing this new song because you're realizing what he's done for you. You have done this. You've done that. You've done this. You changed that. You healed that. You delivered this. You rebuke that. You chased that enemy away. God, you, 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 you're you're the victor. You're the conqueror. You're the king. You're the you're the lover of my soul. You're the father who cares for me. You're the one who meets all of my needs according to your riches and glory. It's a you, you, you mentality, and that's what causes me to say, I praise you. I glorify you. I honor you. Verse five. For you have rebuke the nations. And so what it is he's done there is caused that how long cry to come to an end. And now in past tense, verse 6, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Again, see that? That's past tense. This is a new song. And, and God, uh, I'm preaching this message to you today because God wants to give you a new song. It might not happen today. It might not happen this year. But I believe it's going to happen. There is going to, As you let hope arise in your heart, God is going to give you hope. Uh, uh, that That heart sickness will be first healed, and then the circumstances. and your enemies will come to an everlasting ruin, their cities will be rooted out for the memory of them has perished. Look at that. Not only has he caused the enemies, as as we read in that previous verse there, to perish, but you're not even going to remember that you had that problem. that somebody would have to remind you that you used to struggle with that. Somebody's gonna have to remind you that your marriage used to be like this. It's, oh, yeah. You know, I remember those, that season, and now, but you've been in this new season now. It's been so established. You've been in it so long that, that it's an everlasting situation. And the memory of them has perished because you've rooted out. You've, you, you got it at the roots. You didn't just take something out of my life uh, by the stem or by the, the top of it. You got down into the roots and you pulled the roots out. So this thing no longer exists in my life. Verse 7 says But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He's doing this work of bringing an end to our enemies. They perish. We don't even remember them anymore. And then he's established that uh, forever on his throne. That throne uh, keeps that presence that we talked about earlier is a sustained presence that keeps the enemies at bay to be forgotten in our life. Verse 8, and he judges the world with righteousness and he judges the people with uprightness. You see, sometimes we don't, when we're in that how long, O Lord, how long cry, we don't think God is judging with uprightness. We kind of begin to accuse him, Lord, you're, and God understands, this is the lament. Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why don't you listen to my prayer? How, 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 how how many days do I have to pray the same prayer and then wake up the next day and be faced with the same problem? And so we, and then God has this breakthrough. God has this moment when he comes when it's the right time and says now, and then we look at him and go, God, I should have never accused you of being anything but upright. I should have never done anything but give thanks. Now, yes, he understands that lament. But even in the lament, there's a giving thanks. It's almost like you're saying, Lord, my soul is is hurt and I'm breaking inside. But nonetheless, I'll praise you. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. There's this duality. There's this sense of, of, of marrying together both the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the lament with a sense of God's goodness, his righteousness, his uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So he, he's saying here, he, he, he's a king who sits on the throne, who takes away my enemies. But even when you're in that time, that, in that season, he's a stronghold for you while you're in your time of trouble. Uh, David is addressing something very important to us. While you're waiting, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Realize that he's a stronghold for you while you're in that time of trouble that he can be there with you. His presence is with you. Until he changes the circumstances, he's still changing your heart. Verse 10. And those who, I love this, and those who know your name put their trust in you. Uh, some people say, oh, Lord, I want to trust you more. I want to trust you when I don't see these circumstances. Well, if they don't know the name of the Lord, that he's powerful, that he's loving, that he's gracious. By, by saying here the name of the Lord, he's not just talking about uh, knowing scholarly some information about uh, letters that are put together to form words that are addressed to God as a name that he might have. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his the inner being of who God is. The very essence of God. When you know that, it's, then it becomes possible. Not only possible, but uh, highly likely that you will trust him because you're going to see how good he is. I've been doing a study this past year on the attributes of God, and it's caused me to trust God more. It wasn't just an intellectual study of God being omnipotent or omnipresent, but it's a but it's an emotional trust in God that I have now. Even when I find myself not yet delivered, I find myself still knowing I have a stronghold in that time of trouble because I know his name. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And what do we do as a result of this? Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned throne in Zion and tell the people uh, his deeds. So sing and tell. Sing songs of praise to the Lord. Sing this new song to the Lord. And then tell people you got a new song Give your testimony to people. Tell them, here's what was my life was like, and then God did this. And that brings people to hope. In the previous verse, they begin to put their trust in the Lord because you are describing the name of God. God, God our victor, God our healer, God our Savior, and they are beginning to know the name of God. You're telling them, and you're singing it for your own heart as well. Verse 12, For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He won't forget you. While you're crying and afflicted, He's not despising you. He's not rebuking you, saying, I can't believe you're crying over this stuff. Just just you know, buck up and pull up your uh, bootstraps and, and get on with faith. No, he, he's saying, I'm not going to forget your cry. I know you're afflicted. And, and the cry is this, verse 13, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. You see, interestingly here, he's not saying, Lord, please lift me up from the gates of death. That's what he's doing in chapters one through seven lord please lift me up from the gates of death now he's saying you are the one who does lift me up his confidence is renewed his song is now of uh, courage and strength and faith in the lord why because in verse 14 says that i may recount all your praises count them over again one two three here's all the things that god has done for me that in the gates of the daughter of zion i may rejoice in your salvation the nations have sunk into the pit. Now he changes gears. Here he moves from the individual lament, the pain and suffering that we've been through, that God delivers them from. To now he moves it to a grand scale and national level. And this is what we need in our nation of America today. We need to see God's breakthrough, His power, His deliverance, His His strong. Ho- arm the, the the stronghold of the lord breaking the powers of the enemy not just in our own life not just in our own marriage but in our nation and our government in our politics and our schools and our universities and our police forces in 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 every fabric of society we need to see that the Uh, and understand that God is wanting to do the same thing that he's doing in our individual life. He wants to do it in nations. That the nations, because they have sunk into a pit they've made, and the net that they have hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in their own works of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all nations that forget God. David is crying out not to forget God, individually or as a nation. And I want to encourage you to make your prayer the, the new song, not only be a new song for your own life, your own family, for your own circumstances, but pray this prayer for your nation. Oh God, give us a new song. Help us to sing a song that, that you have delivered us. You have forgiven us. You have cleansed us. You have renewed us. You have brought us back to the place where we once were as a, a nation following God to, to a very large degree, not wholeheartedly uh, by any means, but, but to a large degree, a people that followed God. In verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. This is speaking now of nations. We are a needy nation. We need God to change the course of the, the, the mass uh, death camps of, of the abortion clinics. We need God to change these, the, the, the rulings of government and court powers now that are allowing for the flood of filth to come into our nation. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. My friends, there's hope for America. There's hope for your city. There's hope for your school district. There's hope for your city. God wants to move. And here's what he wants to do. Verse 19 Arise. He wants to hear the cry of the church saying, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let not government prevail. Let not court systems prevail. Let not abortion clinics prevail. Let not unjust laws prevail. But God, let you arise and let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear of you, O Lord, and let the nations know that they are but men. They're men, but God is God. They, they have some power, but God has all power. And so in our affliction, in our problems, whether it be individual or national, that, that as this nation, and look at these words in chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. I won't take the time to read them all again, but he uses three words. are sunk, caught, snared. These, these are words that describe our nation now. But God is able to arise and, 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 be, and be able to bring judgment and I want to say to you, there's nothing too small for God. The smallest need that you would cry out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? It's not too small for Him. The the personal problems and the pains and the sorrows, the, the worries, the fears, nothing's too small for the Lord. But on the other hand, nothing's too large for the Lord. Nothing's too big for Him. He can change nations. He can change kings' hearts. He can change government rulings. He can change Supreme Court edicts. He can change anything He wants to change. But He changes it when the people of God cry out like David did arise o lord not just personally for my own heart my own family my own circumstances but i cry out to you for my nation and i want to pray for us right now that these two things would happen we pray for our Amer- america or if you're listening from another country you pray for the nation that you're living in secondly we want to pray that you would find this place of of a new song that god would would give you and while you're waiting on that new song that you would hold on to your hope that you would not lose hope Hope in the Lord. Will everything you hope for come to pass? No, but that doesn't mean you should lose hope because so many things do. But if you lose hope, you're gonna find like the sea level going down, losing all hope of anything ever happening in your life. So let's hope in the Lord. Let's trust him for ourselves and for our nation. Father God, I close this time of teaching the word of God with a prayer, a prayer of hope. Lord, I I have circumstances in my own life I'm still hoping for. And Lord, sometimes I wanna give up and say, well, it just hurts too much to hope. It's easier just to dismiss hope or to be cynical about it and say, these things aren't going to happen. Lord, I, I don't want that to happen in my life. And I pray for anybody else as well that might feel that that suffering, that pain of losing, not only the circumstances, but the in the midst of those circumstances, losing hope. So Jesus, heal them right now. Heal that sick heart. You he said, hope deferred makes a heart sick. Heal that heart sickness right now. Touch it, Lord, to the very core That new joy would come up. And Lord, I pray that they would sing a new song when you change their circumstances. But I also pray that they would marry the song of lament with the song of hope. And I give thanks for this. And Lord, not only for our own individual circumstances, but for our nation, we pray revival, spiritual awakening. God, touch our nation once again. We stand in great need. We repent, Lord, of our turning from you. And we ask you to arise, God, and raise up a holy standard. We realize we're but men. We need God to be the ruler of our nation. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Hope you'll join us again in our next episode as we continue looking at now next at Psalms 10. God bless you.